We will be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 today as we continue our series uh, called We Believe, uh, the community of the Spirit. As we hear from God's Word this morning, we want to be sure that we always are reminded that God's Word is the foundation for which we live out our lives as the church. And we know that in the Apostles' Creed, as we've been doing this series, the Apostles' Creed, we get to the phrase today that I believe uh, in the Holy Spirit, the universal church. Most of you know that uh, the original creed says Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And we're going to unpack that this morning, but based upon Scripture, we want to look at that together today. So let me read that briefly. We'll pray, and then we will get into the message today. This is what Paul says to Timothy there in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes and our ears now to hear and receive your word, your truth that we may be transformed, conformed further into the image of Christ, that we may indeed be your people as you, have, uh, as you have ordained, Lord, that we would live out our lives together in such a way to bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, I Am a Church Member, Tom Rayner, who's president of Lifeway, wrote the following. And he's also part of a research group at Lifeway, and he says, based upon our research of 557 churches from 2004 until 2010, nine out of ten churches in America were seen to be declining or growing at a pace that is slower than that of their communities. So even if they were growing, they're growing at a rate that's not keeping up with the growth of the community. Simply stated, churches are losing ground. He goes on to say, we can blame it on many things. We can blame it on secular culture, and often we do. We can blame it on the godless politics of our nation. We do that as well. We can blame it on the churches, the hypocritical members, and uncaring pastors. Lots of Christians are doing that as well. But I am proposing that we who are the church members need to look in the mirror. I am suggesting Rainer says that congregations across America are weak because many of us church members have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So as we consider the phrase in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the universal church, and the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, why is it that we would confess that and what does it mean to believe in these things and Why is it that we would center ourselves upon such an important truth? Or another way that we could say it is why is actively being part of the church so critical? Can't we just be Christians? Why do we have to go further and and talk about the community of the Spirit, the communion of saints, the, the universality of God's People. What is it that makes that so important? Well, I want to show you several things, several reasons why being part of 
the community of God is not just an extra, extra option, but rather a necessity and essential thing for you and for me to know and to be part of as God's people. We're going to look at several things, actually three particular things from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, specifically things that we share as Christians that magnify that magnify for us the importance of the church, the communion of saints, the community of God's people. There are things that we share in common, things that are important to us as Christians, plural, um, that, that really reveal for us the essential nature of belonging to the people of God, specifically in a local church, but also as we think about the the greater people of God, the universal church as well. Things that we share together. First Timothy chapter 3 gives us these. Number one, we have what we could call a shared conduct. We see this specifically in verses 14 and the first part of verse 15. Paul, who has put Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy is sort of... Um, Paul is sort of Timothy's mentor here, and Timothy is now in Ephesus, serving the churches of Ephesus in order to care for these churches, to make sure that they're growing and that they're doing exactly what they have been planted to do. So Paul is writing to Timothy as a way to encourage Timothy to hang in there, so to speak. Listen, Timothy, be encouraged as you equip and encourage these churches. There are going to be some issues that you're going to have to deal with that these churches are struggling with, but you be encouraged. You be strengthened. You hang in there. And basically, First and Second Timothy are exhortations to young Timothy. He is a young man. To young Timothy in order to persevere in his work and his calling there among the churches at Ephesus. It's a letter that we hear, have here. First Timothy is a letter filled with details for both church leaders and the church congregation, especially in how they ought to conduct themselves as the people of God. And chapter 3, in these specific verses, we have really somewhat of a transition in the letter. They, th- these verses, in verses 14 through 16, really come towards the end, if you will. They come towards the end of the first three chapters, which contain mostly positive instruction. You'll see some some caution and some negative things there, but mostly positive instruction, whereas the final three chapters contain mainly negative warnings. And it's in these specific verses that Paul says, I am writing these things, the whole letter, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. We see that, don't we? Verse 14, I want to come to you, but in the meantime, I'm writing these things to you so that, here's the reason, verse 15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Paul is saying for Christians and for the church that behavior and conduct matter. It's it's critically important that the churches know how to conduct themselves. Whether it's matters of how they pray, how they structure themselves, how how the leadership carries out its role. There's all kinds of things that are dealt with in these brief letters to Timothy, but his his point is is that, listen, behavior and conduct matter. And the reason, friends, that the church is so critical to this, so important to this, is that it's within the body of Christ that we learn to grow and reflect the character of Christ 
in community together. God's designed it this way. He's designed it this way so that as we relate to one another and as we connect with the body of Christ, as we share this family union together, we learn together how to grow and reflect the character of Christ. Now, it's important for me to say this. When we talk about conduct and behavior, we're not talking about doing things and presenting ourselves in such a way as a means to salvation, but rather, this is a reflection of our salvation. What we're talking about, when he's talking about how you ought to conduct yourself, it's not to get, your, get you into the household of God, but as the household, as the church, this is how you ought to live as a reflection of the gospel in your life. You ought to look distinctly different than those who do not belong to the family of God. And here are some examples, and really the letter's filled with those. And whether it's avoiding false doctrine, structuring yourself appropriately in the church, taking care of certain people, praying for specific people, on and on he goes. The church is critical. It plays an essential role in the life, in, in, in the in the in the life and conduct of the church. We, we need one another as we learn together how to present ourselves and how to act in accordance with the character of Christ, how we ought to present ourselves. Now the church plays, this, plays in this role for a couple of reasons. Number one, as the people of God, we have the same standard. The reason we share a same conduct is because we have the same standard. It's not as if all of you gathered here today sort of have your own different standards. That's the way the world wants you to think. What's good for you is good for you. It may not be my standard, but that's your standard. You live by it. I have my own. That's not how it works, friends. God has a standard. We've actually failed to meet that standard. That's why we needed Christ, who obeyed that standard and died in our place to bring us to himself so that now we can together reflect the character and nature of God and how he's called us to live out our lives. And we need one another because we are abiding by that same standard. And in the church, number two, we have accountability. We have accountability to, to live out our, our lives as a reflection, in a, in a reflective way, to character of Christ. Again, the standard that we all share is the word of God. Even Paul says, doesn't he, he, whether or not he knew he was contributing to uh, inspired scripture that's been debated, uh, there's, there's some evidence that seems to indicate that, that certain biblical writers, even in the New Testament, had an idea that that was the case, and others say, well, they just they couldn't have known. That aside, notice what Paul says. He says, I am writing these things, and now we know that because this has been included in inspired scripture, we know that the the, the fact that Paul wrote these things served as an important teaching tool to the church and is contributing to that same standard that we share. God's word gives us all the standard by which we are to conduct ourselves. The Lord does not leave us as travelers without a map or, or somehow as a ship without a rudder. He's given us what we need, and we all, by the way, have the same map. We have the same rudder. You don't have your own version. We all have the same. And so one of the benefits about the communion of saints is that we all 
are able to enjoy the exhortation, encouragement we receive from the teaching of his word because it is the word that is the standard for us all and we are all able to be held accountable to this standard together. It's critical that we get that. We have a shared conduct. You know, there, are, there have been many helpful tools throughout, throughout the world or throughout the history of the church that have helped Christians see uh, how they ought to conduct themselves. Obviously, the Word of God is, is our final authority. It is the means through which we present ourselves as, as followers of Jesus. We learn how it is that we need to become followers of Jesus. We learn how it is we ought to present ourselves as followers of Jesus based upon living our lives on the authority of Scripture. But you know, a tool that, that churches have used throughout the, the ages... Baptists, not just Baptists, but other denominations, other, other Christians, has, has been the, the tool of a church covenant. And while certainly there's no command in the Bible that says, thou shall have a church covenant, uh, they have certainly been helpful tools because we know that the idea of a covenant is a biblical concept. You have several different kinds of covenants in the Bible. You have uh, covenants which, mean, simply put, are an agreement or promise between two parties. You have, for example, covenant that God makes with man. You, you have multiple covenants made in that way throughout the Bible. You have the covenant he makes with Noah, the covenant he makes with Abraham, the covenant he makes with David, ultimately the new covenant that we have in Christ. You see that God is a covenant-making God, and we know that there are promises and agreements that, that he has that are binding, and in some of those occasions, covenants that you see, that, that it's, it's the agreement to the, fulfill that covenant is, is taken on by one party, and in the covenant that we have in Christ, we know that God took upon himself to fulfill the demands of that covenant. But you also see other covenants in the Bible made between men. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, you have a covenant that Jonathan makes with David. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, David makes a covenant with Israel in how they are going to, 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 to do life together. And, and you see the, the biblical warrant for such an idea. And again, I'm not saying that a church covenant is authoritative, that it trumps Scripture. Certainly not. The Bible is always authoritative. But yet they can be helpful tools because covenants do several things. They help clarify biblical obligations and expectations for members. So that's why we talk about covenant membership. We are covenanting together as the people of God in this location to present ourselves in a specific way. Yes, as, as the Bible dictates, but covenants help clarify what that looks like and how and it's based upon the authority of scripture number two covenants serve as a tool for examination and evaluation three it's an objective standard for accountability and so that's why churches throughout the history of the church's existence have used covenants to help christians understand what it is that we are committing ourselves to in this particular location in this particular congregation So again, when we join a congregation, we are in essence making a covenant with each other to live in a biblically appropriate way. We exist because of God's new covenant commitment in Christ to forgive our sins and write his law upon our hearts and to make us his people. So we know that we now have a shared conduct. We are to present ourselves in the way that Bible commands us. We find accountability within the body of Christ. We are a community created by God's grace and we must be a community that reflects his grace in tangible Christ-exalting ways. And friends, you and I both need help to do that. 
You and I need help to do that. We need the church. That is why the communion of saints, that the church is so critical. I like what John MacArthur said regarding this same issue. He says, active involvement in your local church is imperative to living a life without compromise. It is only through the ministry of the local church that a believer can receive the kind of teaching, accountability, and encouragement that is necessary for him to stand firm in his convictions. God has ordained that the church provide that kind of environment where an uncompromising life can thrive and his people can grow spiritually. We have a shared conduct and we need help living out that life together as God's people. We need to be held accountable. We need to be encouraged, exhorted, rebuked from time to time when we are out of line and certainly that's why we can come together as the body of Christ. But that's not the only reason. We also have a shared community. Look at verse 15 again. He says, If I delay that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Notice two words that he uses here. He uses the word household and the word church. Now listen, the church is not a human invention. The church is invented by God. He's the one that created and established the church and, by the way, has promised to build his church. It was established by the Lord. It was purchased by Christ's blood, and it is his to do with as he pleases. But one thing that has been made clear throughout the Scripture, whether it was in the church in seed form in the Old Testament or the church as revealed most clearly in the New Testament is that we are called to be part of a community. Notice the word household. It comes from the Greek word that means simply house. It's a common word used in the New Testament, but yet the idea here is not so much a building as it is a family. How you ought to conduct yourself in this family, in this household. We, we've been called to behave in a certain manner because we are part of God's family. You ever told your kids, hey, be, you know, be careful how you present yourself. You're reflecting our family when you do that. Um, same here, except on a much <laughs> greater level. Uh, we're called to behave in this way because we are part of God's family. Ephesians 2, verse 19. As Paul's speaking about the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's family, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, So then, we have op- as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have a specific obligation to one another, to help care for one another, to do good to one another. There's the... The fact that we belong to the same household has profound implications. The most obvious is that this family is eternal. Now that might disturb some of you, right? Forever I've got to live with these people. Yes! I love to remind people from time to time when they're frustrated with me, primarily at home, hey, you got me forever. The good news is is that when Christ comes and makes all things new is that we are perfected and have glorified bodies and so the frustration goes away for, for eternity. But this is an eternal family, isn't it? Christ adopted you into his family and it is, it's an eternal family. That's why it's pretty important for us to be united now and to, to come together as the family of God now. We are family 
But yet there's another implication from this. When you think about the household of God, listen, how could, how could we ever refer to God as our Father and want nothing to do with his family? How can you say that? How can you say, yes, I believe that God is my, my God, he is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I want nothing to do with the rest of the family. In worldly terms, we call that dysfunctional. It makes zero sense. You cannot be called to Christ and want nothing to do with the family of God. When people who profess to know Christ want only to do want only to deal with the Lord and not the rest of the family, they are abandoning, listen, they are abandoning the very institution for which Christ died. If Jesus saw it is important to pursue his own family in that way and lay down his life for it, how much more ought we to see the importance of the family of God? Now, while I admit it's strange language, I think there's an element of truth in what St. Augustine once said, I'll let you wrestle with it. It's a little funny in the wording, but I think he's making a good point. He says, he cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. What I'm saying there is, again, you can't call God your father and want nothing to do with the rest of the family. It's a disconnect. Friends, as you look around this room and as you interact with these people on a weekly basis, this is your family your family forts and all right this is family and for many of us many of you it's your closest family perhaps your only family friend don't abandon that which God has established and created the household many implications to that but he also uses the word church the word ecclesia means called out ones. Notice he says, by the way, church of the living God as opposed to the church of a dead idol somewhere. Now this God is living. It's the church. This, actually, this phrase was a term used in New Testament days that was used much more widely than just reference to the church. In fact, it was, a more, it was often a political term using to the public assemblies of certain gatherings. However, when applied into the context of God's people, we know that this is an assembly that God has ordained and God has called out. Notice in the Apostles' Creed, we, we say, I believe in the universal church. The, the older version that many of you are used to is it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The reason we revise that for our use is because it's not a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. It was never a reference to the Roman Catholic Church, so I didn't want there to be confusion, especially in a county that's heavily Roman Catholic. I didn't want you to think that somehow we're, we're espousing everything that they believe. And so it, when it, the Apostles' Creed never had the intention of including that to say it's a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. It's not. The word Catholic simply means universal, lowercase c. So it's a reference to the universal church, the people of God that God has brought together from all ages of, and, and from all backgrounds. So that's why we, we revised it to, to just simply say universal. Um, you know, when the, the New Testament speaks about the church, the word, 
the word church or, or any reference to it, it does so in two senses. In fact, there are around 115 references to, in the New Testament, to this concept of this assembly, this gathering that we call the church. And of that total, 92 times approximately, this word is used in the sense of a local church, a local gathering of believers in a context, in a specific place. For example, Paul, Paul writes to the church that is in Corinth. It's a specific gathering of people at a specific location. Yet there are approximately 23 other uses of the word in the New Testament, and these refer to the church in a universal sense. Not the meaning of a gathering of believers in one location, but rather those who are in Christ, regardless of where or when they live. Remember Jesus referred to the church in this way when he said to Peter after his profession, he says, on this rock I will build my church. It's used in more of a universal sense there. But notice, by the way, in this, in, in this specific passage, when he says the household and the church, he's, he's qualifying who it belongs to. It's the household of God, and it's the church of the living God. God is the originator and the owner and is personally and actively involved in his church. And so, for us to neglect the church or to bring division into the church or even to use the church for our own selfish benefit reveals that we have a deficient view of the church. We are a community, a family of blood-bought sinners who have been called out to corporately reflect the character of God before a watching world. It's a shared community that we have. That's why it's important. But we also have a shared calling. Friends, as a family, as a household, as those who have been called out to be part of the family of God, we do not exist merely for ourselves. In fact, we don't exist for ourselves at all. If you think that we're simply existing here and, and we're transitioning to become our own separate congregation so that we can sort of have our own country club, friend, you've missed the point. This is not a country club. This is not a... a a closed place that no one else is welcome where we just sort of have a good time together. We have a purpose and a mission. We're not here just to make a name for ourselves or to tell everyone in St. Mary's County or beyond just how good Leonardtown Baptist Church is or just how good Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is. In fact, we're not so good. We're a gathering of sinners. We're a gathering of hypocrites like the world likes to say. Absolutely we are. And we need Christ. He is the head of this church and he is cleansing us and he's transforming us so that we won't be so hypocritical. Our mission and purpose is not to tell people how great we are but to how great our Savior is. This responsibility can be understood in the following ways according to this passage. Number one, we are called to support the truth. Notice he says, how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. A pillar and buttress of truth. These architectural metaphors that he's using here. Now this image would have been quite clear in the mind of the Ephesians and certainly Timothy as he's there in Ephesus. Because one of the one of the structures that was prominent in Ephesus was one of the, one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, or Diana. And it was this elaborate temple complex 
that had these marble columns, not just a few, 127 of them to be exact, these marble columns, some of them with, with jewels and overlaid in gold. I mean, it was a marble. You go Google the thing, and you can just see how massive and how elaborate this structure. So when he says pillar and buttress, their imagination immediately goes to those pillars and the, and the, the, the foundation that, that, that the temple complex would illustrate for them. But that was, as elaborate as that was, that was for something that was totally false. church has been given the responsibility to uphold the truth we are called as the people of God to uphold to protect to defend the truth God's word listen God's word must mean everything to us because it is his very word to us I love what the preface of the Geneva Bible back in the 17th century said as it summarized the Bible it reads That the Bible is the light to our paths, the key of the kingdom of heaven, our comfort in affliction, our shield and sword against Satan, the school of all wisdom, the glass wherein we behold God's face, the testimony of his favor, and the only food and nourishment of our souls. Friend, the Bible is critical to our lives as Christians, and we must do everything possible to stand underneath it and defend it and uphold it. Yes, God is capable of doing that. And, and in fact, he has actually ordained the church to be that vessel which will help uphold the truth. And we know that that will never fail because God has said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. So we have a responsibility to uphold, to support the truth. But we also have a responsibility to proclaim the truth. Verse 16. Great indeed, we confess We are confessional people as the mystery of godliness. He was manifest, and here's a summary of the gospel, speaking of Christ. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is probably taken from an early creedal hymn. And it's a great summary of the ministry of Christ. In fact, Embedded in this summary is the expectation that we would indeed proclaim this good news. Proclaim this good news. That we would be heralds. That, we, that Christ is proclaimed among the nations. That we would confess these things, he says there at the beginning. In the summary of the gospel, that God became a man, that he died for our sins, that he triumphed over death, that he was honored by angels, that he was proclaimed in the world, believed upon, and ascended into heaven. Friends, that is the same responsibility we have today, to proclaim that same message. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the hope that you have. Because Christ, the Son of God, God became a man, He lived a life of perfection. He died a sinner's death. He triumphed over death by being raised from the dead. He was honored by angels. He was proclaimed in the world, believed upon in the world, and ascended into heaven. And he continues to be proclaimed in the world today and believed upon in the world today. And the truth of the matter is that if you would turn from your own pursuit of happiness and your own pursuit of trying to make yourself right with God and trust in the one, the only one who is sufficient to present you blameless before the Father in heaven, if you would trust in him, be clothed in his righteousness, cleansed by his blood, you will have life. 
If you would simply believe in him and trust in him and embrace him as your Lord, your Savior, and follow him all your days. That is good news, and it is news for you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can have life by knowing Christ. Friends, we're called as the church to proclaim this message. As we wait upon Christ's return from heaven, we are called to proclaim this message. And it is the church that has been ordained as the primary agent of advancing the gospel. I want you to get this. The church is the primary agent of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want you to hear me. It is not ultimately the responsibility of the International Mission Board to do this. It is not ultimately the responsibility of the North American Mission Board to plant churches in the United States. It is not only the responsibility of New Tribes Missions or Mission Aviation Fellowship to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth, although they are wonderful organizations by which we ought to support and get behind and call people to go be part of these organizations. But ultimately, it is the local church that has been commanded and expected and is the ordained means by which God will advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. We don't pay people to do it. Friends, we have been called to do it. That would have been a good place for an amen. Amen. Thank you. The church... The ordained means, the primary agent, not that there aren't secondary agents, there are, but the primary agent of advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. It is our responsibility as the bride of Christ to make Christ known. I love what John Stott said when he summarized our calling well. He said the church and truth need each other. The church depends upon the truth for its existence and the truth depends upon the church for its defense and proclamation. We have a responsibility, and we share that. That's why we need the church. We, in the church, are commissioned. We are called to together. We can do more together than we can individually. Yes, we will gather today to scatter throughout the week, and we will scatter in multiple directions, and as we scatter, I hope that there's little gospel agents going everywhere into this community to share Christ in whatever context you're in this week. But you know you're scattering as one who has a band of brothers and sisters standing by your side, supporting you and encouraging you and encouraging one another to make sure that we're proclaiming the gospel. Friends, we belong to the greatest institution that has ever existed. We belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you you recognize, well, you I'm not really part of the church because I've really never been part of Christ. And again, we would hold out Christ to you and say if you would simply turn from your ways and seek God's way through Christ. Embrace him and trust in him and find your hope in him. That he will adopt you into this household. That he will bring you into this household of faith and you will belong to him and be part of his body that he is building. And maybe you're here today and Let me just push you, some of you, not all of you, push some of you. Some of you have been hanging out here a while. You've been hanging out, and you've you've not made yet a formal commitment to be part of this congregation. Friend, today's the day. Today's the day. Why wait any longer? You know, if you want to come this morning as we sing in just a minute and say, you know what, I want to publicly commit myself to being part of this congregation. Praise God, come do that. If you say, you know what, I need to call you this week, Pastor Adam, set up a time to meet, do a membership interview, let's, let's resolve this, let's get this done. Let's do that. Let's do that as well. Some of you have been hanging out here many, many months, maybe longer. 
we would, I'd just simply, simply put it in your court today and say, you know what, why wait? Why wait longer when you can be part of what God is doing in our midst here and be, radic- and be radically encouraged, be radically mobilized as part of the mission that we have as God's people in this place? Friends, there's no greater place on earth than the church. Because of that, let us commit together to be what the church has called to be. We believe in the church universal, the communion of saints. We believe in the church universal, the church local. We know that God is doing a work through his people. He's building his people. Why not be part of that intentionally, proactively, to the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are good, Lord, and we thank you so much that you that you are who you are because, Lord, we realize that we are not so good. We are not so good, Lord. We, we are sinners, and we, Lord, have failed in many ways. We've fallen short of your glory. We've fallen short of your standard. And we deserve to be condemned. We deserve judgment. But, God, in your great mercy, in your great mercy, Lord, in because of your love for us. Even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In order to bring us to you, in order to make us part of this family called the church, so that we can have a relationship with each other and certainly, most importantly, a relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you are building your church And Lord, what a joy and what a privilege it is to be part of this body, this people that you are building universally, but Lord, even here locally, to be part of this congregation that you are building. Father, it is a joy and a privilege. And Father, help us to realize today that we truly need one another. We need one another because we share the same same heritage. We, We have the same Father. We have the same standard. We have the same mission. Lord, we are a family. So Lord, help us to resolve today as part of this family to to do our share, to be the people you've called us to be. And Lord, maybe there are some today that are here that want to be part of this family and they want to make that known. Whether they make that known publicly today or through a phone call this week or a meeting. Lord, may you encourage them today. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that they're not part of your church because they're not united to Christ. God, would you awaken them? Would you help them to see that their only hope is by having a relationship with Jesus? Would you give them faith to believe and would you give them the opportunity today to respond and Lord, call them. Lord, call them to yourself. Lord, enable them to come running to you with open arms to trust, to trust in Christ. They may find life, but Lord, that they may find family. Lord, you know our hearts and you know where we are and you know our struggles. So would you move in our midst now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.